0: All right. So we have been doing a travel series. We had to just pause it real quick because we had the Hajjah series because, you know, these are really important days. We want to get right into part two of the travel series because we want to make sure you guys have all the tips you need to get all the travel on the cheap and do all the good stuff. And today we have a really great episode. We're going to dive into how to get the best food and figure out what the best food is in a place, how to get the best prices even if you've never been there before and like what to do if you're in that case and um, obviously not to get robbed and ripped off as well as um, you know pricing shopping what to pack all that good stuff all the goodies we're going to get into that in this episode let's go Hello, salam alaikum. Welcome to the Mindful Muslim Speaks podcast. This is the five-star top-rated Muslim podcast by you guys, where we go into kind of like everything you guys are into. And right now, we know it's summer, alhamdulillah. And so part of mindfulness is being aware, right? So as a person who's done a ton of world travel and a huge travel bug I have it it's totally true I'm a big foodie I I love like that's my fun thing because I secretly am a dork and I really really just love to like meet new people explore cultures and I will tell you that has really really helped me through all the work that I've done um, as you guys know um, I'm a licensed educator of 20 years so being in the school systems in the U.S. and Dubai working with tons of um, teachers and training them and women and then going to the community for years and just doing dawah and teaching in different masajids and, and just being around women of all different backgrounds and children and just really really getting deep into the roots of our communities wherever you are in the world now the work that I do and this is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is Kareem right he knows everything um, I'm dealing with women in this podcast. So far, we have a million listens and um, 147 countries. So that background that Allah gave me and this exposure to culture and my love and my passion is poured right into Mindful Muslimah, believe me. And when I go into these travel tips, it's because I'm just taking you to the best moments of my realization in traveling and kind of how to do things a better way. We always have to go through mistakes. A lot of people think that I had one sister say, and it just didn't leave me yet, really, that she said, like, you know, that stuff seems like, oh, how do you do that? I can't do that. Or that's so unrealistic because, you know, you're so great at this or you could do that. I have made an incredible amount of mistakes, okay? Alhamdulillah. And with each one. You either learn and get better or you just keep doing them over and over, right? So I try my best to learn. I mentioned the first part one. If you haven't already, go back. We talk about flights. We talk about accommodations. We talk about taxis and, you know, transportation. And so that's really the three huge costs that will make or break your travel in terms of costing you a lot of money in the budget. The stuff I'm doing now are equally important. But I would say you need to tackle those first because you could literally lose thousands doing that. And obviously, we're going to penny pinch and, you know, do whatever right now here in this one and get you really great stuff. But, you know, that stuff will cost you the more money, let's just say. So I want you to go back to part one if you missed that and then come back to us here in part two. All right. Let's dive into the information today. Um, So I'm going to tell you first how I get the best prices on everything, even if I've gone to a country the first time. Now, obviously, for example, I gave you the example in the last podcast where I went to Turkey twice and I'm about to go three times. I think that's the most I've went to a country over and over. I typically don't do that. I like to go to many different countries. There's a big wide world out there. But because I have to go for surgery and stuff, it just puts me there. And so it gives me an opportunity to refine, right? But on average, you know, you might go somewhere once in your life. It's a really big thing. You finally got the money and you're just going to go once and you don't want to blow it, right? So you go on YouTube and you start watching videos of that country, you start researching online. But let me tell you what I found. You can do that and you should do that. But you will also find that when you get to that country, you'll always find some level of surprises. So what I'm going to give you right now is about five tips on prices because you will find those surprises. And sometimes you'll, it'll just be something like you saw a price in the Internet, you thought it was going to cost this, then you got there and you didn't realize on a different season it's different. Let me give you a perfect example. Um, I lived in Dubai, as many of you guys know, and I hope you can take these little mini stories that I insert as examples of how this stuff can work for you. Um, When I lived in Dubai, I was going over there initially to do some like like head teacher, lead teacher job, something like that. And I went over there in right before the school year started, which is typically when people want to be English teachers or administrators or whatever in the school systems, They typically tend to get you in there July, August, you know, before it starts, give you some training, blah, blah, blah. When you go to rent apartments or get a flat, like I'm going to live there, right? So I had to obviously, and by the way, in certain countries, and you should know this, not, this is a, this is a podcast on travel. So I'm assuming we're just being a suffer. But if you're going to actually live somewhere, this is a good tip to know. In some countries, you have to pay the rent in advance for an entire year. In Dubai, they expect you to pay it in one, they call by checks, in one check or in two check max on average. There is no such thing as 12 months rent. People want all their money up front. Sometimes they'll stretch to four checks, four payments like quarterly, but then they will only increase the amount of the flat of the apartment. So for example, when we went to Dubai, we got a Uh, an apartment. We didn't go right away straight to this. Ah, it was actually, okay. It actually worked out in my favor. We went there and they wanted, and and this is me going about a couple years back, about 80,000 dirham. I can't give you the translation in um, like the currency, you know, in in U.S. dollars right now. You can go Google it. They wanted about 80,000 dirham in July, August-ish, right? And that's when everybody's flooding the country to take the jobs usually all the teachers and stuff and i was like wow you know that's a lot of money subhanallah i don't know and then we were like you know what let's go on the cheap so we went to Sharjah, which is the next emirate over technically it's only a 20 30 drive into 20 20 or 30 minute drive into work so i was like all right i had googled it i had looked at the maps it's only 20 30 minutes we're just going to live right outside dubai drive in and commute won't be a big deal, la la la. So two things I learned in that experience. Um, they didn't factor in the traffic, and I didn't know that Dubai has an, an absolutely horrific traffic experience. And when I say like, it was like an hour or more, an hour to an hour, half a day to get to that 20 to 30 minutes away. And my poor husband at the time, he had not found a position yet there. And so he was he was our driver every morning and he had to do that drive, do it back, stay home for a bit, then go back and pick us up because my, myself and my children were over there in school and then come back and pick us up again. My poor husband was commuting so much for this teeny little drive. So sometimes you can't tell the distance. But the point here is in price, right? So 80,000 at the time. So we were like after doing this for about two, three months, we were like, OK, this is not sustainable. We have to go live in Dubai. So then we went to go look for apartments. Allahu alam, same exact flat we were looking at. And mind you, it's not just like one flat. It was like entire, like you'd look at a building and then all the open spots in the building. 50,000 dirham. So it was like a big chunk of that money. Just, you know what I mean? Like, so that is an incredible amount, 30,000 dirham difference, if I just went a couple months later. And it just so happened that the rent at different times of the year Drastically changed now. If you know anything about buying houses, for example, in the U.S. and Canada and stuff like that, same thing with the housing market. If you go buy a house in the summer, it's always more money. So, um, you know, stuff like that. So, here's the the idea right here. Research is really important. So, my number one tip out of the five for prices is research is really important. But just know that there will always be some level of surprises when you go to a country. There's no sure thing, and so just be forgiving with yourself. But believe me, I did as much research as I could. But I didn't realize there was that huge difference because I had Googled and checked all the websites. I was focusing on location and, you know, transportation and transit and cost of this and tolls. And by the way, that's the other thing. We didn't know that there was they had this thing called uh, Salik, which is like every second you drive under something and you're getting charged an incredible amount of money. We didn't know about this thing. We know in the U.S. about going over bridges and tolls, and so you're going to pay for those. But when I was factoring in the commute cost, I didn't know about SALIC, which is like not a bridge, not a toll, just points at any time they want in the road where they're just going to charge you extra (laughs) money. So we were like, okay. So then... Um, we learned eventually to avoid most of those. We had to take a bit of a round detour, but my husband, would, it was it was like he had nothing better to do because he was not employed at the time looking for a job. So he was like, oh, I'm going to figure out how to avoid all the salix. So he would just, we found a way. But the point is, surprises will come, just be prepared. But research, believe me, did do a huge difference because we got an amazing apartment that was cheap in the meantime, um, like I mentioned in the first um part one. Okay. Number two, um, use convenience stores to gauge prices. All right. So for example, where we went to Thailand, so in Thailand they have these open markets. So you're going to go to open markets. A lot of time in open markets and things like that, they do not post prices. You're just going to walk up and say, how much is this? They're going to size you up, look at your accent and give you a price. Some people are very honest and they'll just charge you the same price as a local, but most don't. And so how do you know what the lo- I'm a really big believer in like I'm paying with the locals pay. That's not fair. You can't just rob me because I'm different. So i am always like trying to find out what the locals pay. Sometimes I will literally ask a local on the side before I go into a market, Hey, how much is something like this? And if they can tell me sometimes they will, and then I'll go in. And sometimes, my big thing that I do is whenever I go to a country, the first thing I do is I go, I run to the convenience stores. Now the convenience stores are always going to be priced up. Because they're convenience stores. I want you to imagine if you're going to like a small mom and pop store, it's going to be more than um, a supermarket. So actually, let me take that back. I go. To, I love to go to supermarkets first and then convenience stores. And it's not because I love food, even though I do love food, alhamdulillah. is because that is where the cheapest prices other than the market usually are. So for example, when I was in Malaysia, when I was in Thailand, the first thing I did as I take my kids, because we do have an apartment or a flat we go there and we go grocery shopping. I did this in Jakarta. I did this in Bali, like wherever I can go, I go grocery shopping first as one of my first things I do. Why? Because one, I know the kids are gonna get hungry and I'll talk about this more in the family one. And then you buying three meals a day outside all the time gets pricey. So I have a way to reduce price with that. But anyway, we'll get to that in a second in in the part three of the series. But going back to the supermarket, what I do is with my, my, my dorky notebook is I walk around, I'm like, hmm, Oranges cost this much. Okay, um, bottle of water costs this much. So, like for example, in Dubai, it's really interesting. Um, a bottle of water costs like forty cents US, fifty cents US. Like huge bottles of water, not like the bottles in the US that cost a dollar. Like very big difference something we'd pay two three dollars for. I was like, woohoo. And then I realized it's because it's really hot <laughs> Alhamdulillah. anyway. But there's certain things that they will overprice you in other things. So just know if there are foreign products, you're obviously always going to pay more. For example, if I go to um, Dubai and I'm going to buy like Omani chips, they have chips from Oman, which is the neighboring country. Or if there's like a local cheese that they make right in Dubai, it's going to cost the cheapest because it's locally made. But as soon as you buy American products or British products, there's a ton of British products in the, in um, Dubai because they, they just love like the UK. You know, there's a ton of um, Irish products there and French products and I like so, so much compared to the U.S., and it was just really lovely to go to Carrefour. We don't have Carrefour here. I I love Carrefour. And I don't, I don't know, like when I was there, it was like, it was just like, um, because I love international food. It was just a paradise. Anyway, alhamdulillah. So the point is, and I'm sorry if somebody does not like Carrefour in their country, but like for, for a person who's from the US going and seeing that diversity, it was really nice. But the point is that local stuff will always cost cheaper. That's just given. But if you're a person who's from the US and you're like, Oh my gosh, I have a craving for Cheetos right now, or Oreos. It's always going to be incredibly expensive anywhere you go, because these are, these are touted as Western products and they make them like three, four times as much. So just know when I say go in the supermarket and look, when you see these Westernized products from um, European countries compared to the local, they're always going to be more. So you might want to eat the local chips or whatever. I don't eat chips, but my point is if you like that type of stuff. So I go to the supermarket, I write down the prices, Then I go to like a 7-Eleven, like Thailand. I didn't realize how big 7-Eleven. I don't think you guys have that in Europe, but like you might have something else, the equivalent. Um, We have 7-Elevens here a lot in New York and New Jersey. They have like Wawa in the South and stuff. like. But we have these certain convenience stores. When you go to Thailand, they're huge. They're just such a big thing. And their 7-Elevens are so much better than ours. You can get bubble tea in there. You can get hot food. They have the craziest flavors of Lay's chips. Like, I do not eat potato chips, but I was eating potato chips in Thailand because they had, like, red pepper Thai chili chips. They had, like, lasagna chips. They had lobster chips. They had, like, the craziest, weirdest things and I was like it was so fun just to like eat a couple bites and go hmm the pizza chips does it actually taste like that they just had crazy things so anyway the point is I go in there those are a little bit more expensive but I get a general idea of how much phone cards cost how much it is for food basic you know um, toiletries I write them all down then I go to the, the open markets where I will see how much things could, should cost cheaper in the open markets and be a good quality, depending on where you are. That's very, very general for me to say. But let's just say, you know, it's usually supposed to be cheaper. Not always, but should. So but my point is, I love to get fresh produce in farmers markets and things like that in the country, right, of another country. And so you will not know the prices. So the best thing to do is go in the supermarkets, get a general sense of how much things cost, write them down. So when you're on the street, you're getting street vendors, you're getting all these things where there are no prices, that you gauge it with that. So that is a very long tip number two, but it was really, really needed to be talked about. Another thing is if you like clothing, like shopping for clothing, this is what I just did recently in Turkey in Ankara. When you go in different cities, the prices are different. So for example, if you're in in Istanbul, which is the one of the major cities there, right? And then you go to something like Ankara, which is like the beach, the resorts, and things like that. You're gonna see different prices, different prices at the different times of the year, different prices in the city. When I went to Ankara in the, not Ankara, sorry, Antalya, forget about that, Antalya, Istanbul and Antalya. When I went to Antalya in the winter, because it's the winter and there, nobody's gonna go there in the winter, it's like the off season. I just had to go there, like I said, for the surgery. The prices were amazing, right? Prices for a hotel room was like sixty U.S. at the Ramada, like a, like a really. Was it the Ramada? Was it, Yeah, it was just like a really expensive hotel. I went and looked now for this summer and the same room is two fifty. dollars Huge difference. And then the same thing with the food. I'm very curious when I go back now, am I going to see the prices of the food are as different as they were before? So for example, if you go to get this famous soup, and I can't think of it right now, but there's a certain soup they eat in Turkey. It's like a lentil soup, basically. It only costs eight Turkish lira. Just eight. It's like the equivalent of a dollar something in the U.S. to get a nice, hot, steamy bowl of soup with a bread, right? If I go and get the same one in Istanbul, people try to charge me 21 to 28 Turkish lira. Very big difference, right? We're talking three, four times the amount. And it's just, to me, a ripoff. So I have to think of Manhattan. You know, if I'm in New York City, it's going to cost more than, you know, the suburbs. And I have to factor that in. But I'm also not going to pay that much. So I always barter with them and I, and I get them to go down. But the point is, um, seasonally it changed also by sea city location. It can change, but no matter what happens, if you do my thing, like I said, which is go around and look in the supermarkets and the, um, and the convenience stores for food, that's good. But what do you do when it comes to clothing? How do you deal with that? Because I was in Turkey and I'm like, I want to buy some clothes. So I what I do is I never buy at the first shop I see. I go around to different shops. Now I want you to also put in your mind that just like in your country, there's going to be a shop that has cheaper quality, better quality, that has um, a name brand or not a name brand. Like they have their own name brand. So you have to be reasonable and size all that up. But generally I go to multiple stores before I make a purchase like three, four, five. I have patience. I do it because those impulse buys are where you lose all the money. Right? So you want to be like, okay, A sweater should cost between 12 and 20. Mm -hmm. Oh, at this story, that's high end. That's more like 46. But I see I could generally get a pretty nice quality sweater for 12 to 24. Okay. Then I go back in and I go and I like this is if there's if there's prices or not or bartering or not. So my point is I go to multiple places before I actually purchase to get a sense and feel and learn the area out. Okay. The next tip I give you, tip number four, is watch locals buy stuff before you do so I love to not run to the counter I like to stand behind watch the locals exchange money for things that are similar to what I'm about to buy and then go and buy myself if I cannot figure out through the other ways I'm telling you it's like my my fail safe because sometimes they lie to you they lie to you about phone cards They lie to you about cost of things because they see you coming so then when they've done that to me before I'm like but he just paid 40 bucks for the same thing I just watched you hand it to him And then they make a face at you like, oh, you caught me. And then I'm like, okay, come on, come on. And I try not to be mean. I try to do a laughing thing as opposed to a mean thing. I've learned that works better with other cultures. Instead of like, they don't like to be called out by what they just did, that they tried to rob you. So if you still need to buy the thing, I'm always like, come on, you know, all right, here you go. Here's the 40 that's it. All right. Give me the thing. Come on. Let's go. And I do like that. And then they just take it usually and that's it. But if you're like, hey, you know, that's cheating. That's like that's usually not going to go over well. So just in other countries, got to use your sabr. Got to use your patience. Got to use your Islamic adab. Yeah, make a astagfar for them. <laughs> Whatever they're doing. Alhamdulillah. No, really, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he really dislikes dishonesty in business. And he mentions this in the Qur'an. And one of the things that Beni Israel, one of the things that the the, the people of Israel were were punished for, were for this. And so we're supposed to be honest as Muslims. And I'm doing a Muslim-to-Muslim transaction, and i love to think other Muslims all do the right thing. But like I said, the world is difficult. May Allah forgive them. And sometimes they're doing that, so that's how I generally handle it. Number five, keep a notebook. Like I said, like if I go to a place and I'm going to go back there... Um, I'm going to keep a notebook. I have a, a, a bonus right now I'm going to throw in. It's actually should be in the, in the previous podcast, but since we did that one already, I want to throw it in here because it is related to keeping a notebook. One thing I didn't tell you in one of my secrets of taxis in the last one is what I sometimes do if I find taxis are expensive in a certain area and I'm going to have to foot money more than usual. This usually happens in a European country, but I did this in Bali you can rent a taxi person for a couple days. So what I did in Bali was, Bali is very expensive. And because they know that you have a limited opportunity, like it's, it's just harder to barter in Bali because it's a smaller space. And they they have the island on lockdown. They're pretty smart. You can't be as frugal and they know it. Um, I was like, I'm going to beat the system. So I found this taxi guy and he was kind of trying to like, you know, finagle me and Robbie. That's what they all do. It's nothing new, right? So it's all right, playing the game. I said, how about this, brother? You want to get this, but I, I forget what the, the, forgive me, but I forget the, uh, the currency right now. But it was like, I was like, you want this from me at this price. But how about this? Instead of just getting that and then hoping to get from somebody else and somebody else, how about I rent you for the entire day? Like, you know, like rent the taxi. I mean, not the person, obviously. Rent the taxi for the day or for half the day, every day for three days. Because I knew, for example, in Bali, what you really wouldn't need to do is you need a taxi. You can't do local transportation. A lot of times you take either a moped or a taxi because you're going to places that are off-road. You can't can't get buses and stuff. Or if you do, they're usually for tourists and then you have to get a tour. And I didn't need all that. Right? I just want to get my, ta- I don't do tours. Tours are for tours are for other people. I don't do tours, right? Once in a while, but usually not. I like to go off the beat and track and have a local experience. I'm one of those people, right? So everybody has their thing. So that's my thing. So I said, how about this? And then we bartered for the price until I got it down. So for example, let me just give you an experience. He was trying to charge me $50 a day to go and do these things. Like that one day he was charging me 50 bucks. I said, how about you charge me 25? Because I knew the 50 was not realistic anyway. He was just up charging me. It was probably like more like, 20 or 30 and I knew he was just you know so I was like how about I pay 25 and then he made a face I'm like but I'm gonna pay you 25 for three days so now you have guaranteed money coming to you and your family for the next three days you gotta wonder and I mean I'm not booking you for the whole day you could still go, still go take other people but that's in your you know you gotta think of the taxi guy you gotta think about what is to his benefit so I'm helping somebody out because I'm giving them steady money but I'm also not letting them chump me and charge me as much as they think that they're gonna, because they think I'm just some foreigner who doesn't know anything. Totally worked. So I and I, and I kept this person's number. So if I ever go back to Bali again, I'm not gonna give it out, obviously, because I don't do things like that. But the point is, you know, like because um, they do things by um, by Gojek or whatever things they have. And and he said he said if you ever come back, he actually told me if you ever come back to Bali, this is my number. And uh, you know, this is with my family. I'm not doing this alone. He's like, this is my number, and uh, you know, I'm here, and you can. You know whatever i was like okay cool thank you so much and so if we do go back you know inshallah Allah, we'll, we'll definitely use his service again he was very good He was very nice we actually paid for his lunch we took him out because we had to stop on the road there was and we, we we noticed he had gone the whole day without eating and that really bothered us so we when we bought something we always shared it with him uh when we went out to lunch as a family we invited him to come to the table next to us to like sit and eat you know like depending if it was male or female mix we didn't want to mix with men and stuff like that but the point is like we invited them to eat and we paid for their food like a sadaqah like you know what i mean so like there's always things you could do you know and he wasn't muslim but we were trying to to have a good adab with him because we're not trying to take advantage of anyone and we didn't feel comfortable the fact that we're eating and he's not and it did make us feel a bit strange and so we we did do that but my point is there, we we said okay alhamdulillah it wasn't crazy things off of our our you know our pocket and so alhamdulillah there's always things you can do so think outside of the box all right that's my pro tip okay let's talk about food do your homework I do love and I did mention I do love following Mark Weens and our family we do follow Mark Wiens he's really great he goes all over the world and he does give prices um and we follow people like Food Ranger um and you know he does some great stuff for Asia with food places I've gone to many places when I was in Singapore um, we did eat at one of the spots that Mark said I didn't like that one. That was the only one I didn't like. But for the most of the places, we were all over Thailand. And um, I forget where else we went. I mean, things like that. We really... We really did love his suggestions. So you can find a couple people like usually do follow YouTubers for a bit and see what they do like to go to. We check out these places, we look all over and then we start to then say okay, these foods look interesting. Then we go research the food some more, make sure they're halal and things like that. Um, pro tip for halal food with Singapore. It was really interesting. So I made a mistake when I didn't know I was only in Singapore for two days. Um, it's very expensive in Singapore. It's probably not somewhere I would go back just because it's like, it's like glitzy glamoury to me. I'm not into that. That's just not me. If you like that type of stuff, it might be you. Um, but it was like, it was like the upscale. I don't know. I don't want to go into it, but anyway, so it was like very expensive for a teeny weeny hotel room and the food was more expensive and i didn't have a great halal experience however i found out later from a singaporean when i came back i had a friend who was singaporean and i totally forgot i don't know why i didn't ask her um so what we do is when we cannot find halal food we often eat indian food one because we love indian food it's delicious And two, and we we were more like vegetable plant-based people anyway. And um, and people from India who have they have a a much better variety of cuisine, and we love bold flavor, and there's so many spices and things in Indian cuisine, so we love it. But we're very picky, even though we love Indian cuisine, we're so spoiled because we're from New York that we have really good Indian food here, and you know, it's really it pains us to go to certain parts of U.S. where we have to eat really like fake Indian food. It's the same thing with Chinese food. If you ever had real Chinese food, it is not like the Chinese food you get. Like they have beautiful steamed fish and steamed veggies, and they don't have all this other weird sauces that they do for Americans and and you know foreigners. When I have a lot of Chinese friends as well, so when you eat the food that's actually from China, that's halal. You know, like the fishes and the vegetables and stuff. It's actually so different. So anyway have really great experience with having amazing cuisine, being it from New York, alhamdulillah. So when I go to get Indian food, we're like, we're like very picky. But we know what to get. We know how to test it out. And so the point is, when I went to Singapore, I found that it was so interesting. I wanted so much. I do not know why. I was just fiending for a hot bowl of beautiful soup, like a ramen or something with like noodles. I just wanted any kind of food and i saw that they had so many hot spots for like food so it was so interesting because i would go right up to the counter and the women (laughs) this happened more than once they put up their hand they're like not halal not halal pork 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 and they were like i think most of the time they were chinese or they were some some type of a non-muslim population where they knew we were going to come up and we needed halal but I do appreciate that they were like not halal you can't eat it and they were like shooing us away it was it it was it came off as rude but I kind of appreciated it and I was like man and then I went from place to place to place and I couldn't find a hot bowl of anything like that because of that so I ended up keep going to like little India I don't know they had a little India area there which was actually really nice we ate some really great food we had some um Oh, what's that word, the roti chennai. I think that's what it's called. So nice, nice, you know, different masala chai and stuff like that. Great stuff. Came back to the U.S. And my friend from Singapore is like, why didn't you go to the Malaysian neighborhood? I'm like, oh, I didn't know. Where was that? And because if I would have went there, I would have got like beautiful halal things and soups and stuff. I just honestly did not research Singapore as much because I knew I was going to be there really quick. But it still was my mistake because I missed on, on a ton of beautiful Malay cuisine that was there, even though I had gone to Malaysia In the past, you know, like days back in that trip or a week back or something when I did enjoy many good things in Malaysia. um, That's really great stuff. And they have beautiful cuisines and stuff. Very different, very interesting. If you're from um, European countries or you're from Arab countries or things, you're going to find a very different fair so again you want to find out like where the spots to go but I definitely would say follow youtubers check out the cuisines before make sure that that you there you do have access to halal foods um, and you look at things like so we ended up eating well but like like I, I said when all else fails we just go for certain cuisines that we know are more vegetable based and we tend to eat a lot of vegetables and seafood and that's fine with us like I personally don't even eat meat so it doesn't really matter to me but it does matter to me what's in the broth and you know, and all that stuff, and just just making sure everything's kosher. By the way, because we're talking food, I will throw something in very interesting about Thailand. So when I told you I might, our family's considering going back to Thailand, if I had like my dream experience, I'd probably go live in Thailand for like a month. I'd go to like Chiang Mai, go up in the mountains. I would do this and that. You might say as a Muslim, like, wow, that's a predominantly Buddhist country. Why would you even want to do that? So what I would say about that is, first of all, I'm a huge lover of Thai cuisine. And so for me, eating there is really easy. Now, eating in Bangkok is a lot easier because there's more seafood-based food in Bangkok. If you go to the highlands or the mountains in Thailand, it is more meat-based, but they do have really great fruit and a lot of vegans and vegetarians live there. So there is still a lot of veg-like food, but um, obviously the seafood will suffer, which is a great part of Thai cuisine. But there's, you know, many kinds of Thai cuisine. So the point is that is gonna be different. And um, not that my, my husband rarely eats meat when we travel anyway, even though he does eat meat. Um, and so we obviously wouldn't eat meat in countries like that. But what I may tell you is this. In Thailand, they have a ton of halal options. You would never think. When I was leaving Thailand, you know, every country I go, I buy things. And what I usually love to buy is candy for all the children because it's very easy and light. And usually I think it's a very cool experience. When someone brings you back candies and snacks from another country, you might think, oh, like when souvenirs, I'm not into like, this is such an old word, tchotchkes and souvenirs and stuff like that. I'm not really into that stuff because I feel like, oh, you give somebody, what do people do with those? They don't really use them. Now, if I can find something really good and useful, like if we're going to a country where they have the best honey in the world or the best almonds in the world, like I love to bring food because I feel like it brings a taste of that country. And if there's obviously something people need, like sarves or abaya or Jababs or something, I'll bring them those. But if it's a country where, like, I don't really need any of that stuff, I love to bring candies and snacks. When I went to Thailand, I went to the supermarket, and I, I tend to buy a lot of presents from the supermarket because it's cheaper and I can buy more of it. And the quality is usually just as good. Unless it's a specialty item, I'll go buy it in a market and it's something really cool. Like, the best juice I've ever had probably in the world is in Jamaica, and in Thailand, in Thailand, it was a mulberry drink that I'll probably never drink again. And, <laughs> and in Jamaica, it was in the house of a local person in Kingston. And it was, it wasn't soursop. It was something else. I can't think of it right now. It's like, ju- I can't remember. I wrote it down, but it was ridiculous. And after that, I never, I never, uh, you know, had the same juice again. So my point is like stuff like that, if I can carry it or savor it, or, oh, for sure. But anyway, Went to the supermarket, so much halal candy, more than Muslim countries I've been in. So much halal options for foods and snacks and everything all over it said, halal, halal, halal. Because they know they're right next to Indonesia. They know they're right next to Malaysia. There are so much halal things in Thailand. I was shocked. So my point is, I didn't find it hard to be Muslim in Thailand for that reason. And, yeah, you're not going to find, like, same level of messaging and stuff like that. But just for passing through, I'm not going to live there. I would not, like, make hijra there or something. But I found it very peaceful, very engaging, like, the food and cool stuff. So, anyway, so that's my, my rant on food and halal. Like, you sometimes will be surprised in places um, that will have that. Okay, let's talk about um, – last thing is, yeah, let's talk about what to pack. right, so one thing I've learned, I've made a ton of mistakes in outlets. I always have. I go on Amazon, and if you can do it in the country, it depends. Sometimes, I think when I went to Turkey, they charged me a lot of money when I was in Istanbul. But then when I was in Antalya, they charged me a cheap amount of money for, um, how do I say it, Uh, like those the plugs, the, the adapters, the adapters. It was very, very cheap you could buy them on Amazon. I just suggest you go on Amazon and you just find a decent priced one that has those multi-country ones. They're usually good. Don't be like me and do what I did and and be cheap and try to get just one of them or two of them. Buy a couple of them because guess what? Everybody wants to charge their phone. Then you guys are like, you charge yours first and I'll wait till yours charges and I'll charge mine and then it's just like silly, right? So what I learned is to don't be cheap on that stuff and definitely like just buy a couple of those and keep, I keep them in my bag and my travel bag. Whenever I go to travel, they're just there. Same thing with like, um, you know, just certain products that I know I'm going to travel with. Like if they're like little containers that I know that they're exactly the airline size. Like I bought one of those things where like they're, how do I say it? Um, They're made of plastic and they have all the perfect sizes. And then I just rinse them out and clean them and put them away back in my in my suitcase and I just put it away and then when I want to travel I just come and I open it up and I have all the special cords for overseas or all the plugs or all I just keep it all in there and then that's not a problem Um, but what I would suggest to you is that like you just keep certain things in your bag it took me years to realize this was smart so for example Last time I was on a trip, I knew I was going to have to do a lot of, I was doing mindful muslima when I was in Turkey from Turkey and I knew I was going to have to plug my computer in and I knew I was going to have to sit in places where I might not have a cafe, which was very smart of me. So I bought like a big heavy battery plug for like a hundred bucks where you could plug your computer in it anywhere. You could just like, I could be sitting in a park and plug it in if my computer dies. Wow. That's brilliant. Smart, right? Yeah. Kind of. So <laughs> this was a new thing I was trying. I hadn't done this before. And so that was really great. Cause in COVID you couldn't go in the cafes. You couldn't plug in. They weren't let me sit anywhere. It was really smart. What was not really smart is that I didn't make sure that I could charge that charger overseas. So at one point I had plugged it in, in the hotel room. And it burnt out because I forgot to check the voltage. For those of you who are not from the US, we have a different voltage than a lot of the rest of the world. I don't know why. And we have, a, a, like, you have like a 120 versus a two something. And so we burn out our things really fast because the voltage is different. And so that was not smart. And I lost money on that particular device. So just make sure that anything you plug in is something that can work for that country. So let me tell you what I tend to keep on hand now. I did this also in that same trip with a new steamer that I bought. I was like, oh, I'm so tired of depending on the uh, hotels to make sure that they have an iron. That's the big thing, right? When you're a woman and you're a Muslimah, And you're traveling. The worst thing is where you pack up your stuff and you try to do it so neat. And then you unpack it. And for some reason, because of all the moving back and forth, your hijab is all crinkled. And when you go to put it on your face, it's all weird. And you have to make those nice creases. Or you have like a big long tunic or something. And it's all like crumpled. Especially if you have linen. Oh, goodness, linen. Right? So the point is, I was like, oh, I'm so tired. And I have like a little mini travel steamer. So I bought two this time one for my house, one for overseas. Again, totally forgot about the voltage. I just assumed if I plugged it into the adapter, all would be well, not true. Do not make that mistake. This is the last time I'll make that mistake. So what I did for myself is I, because I travel regularly and it was not a lot of money, I bought some products that I knew I would be using regularly, like a steamer. I could steam and iron my clothes anywhere I am and it was for international voltage. It was for no matter where I went in the world, it works. They make those things. I bought it off of Amazon, whatever it was. It was like 20 bucks. Then I went and I bought a hair a hair straightener or a hair curler or like whatever I need to do my hair. I, I would try to bring those things and they would burn out. So I bought one again, international voltage. I just keep it in a little package and I keep it in my luggage. Anytime I'm traveling, I know those things will work wherever I am overseas. So I have hair product like hair Um, electric products, or I have steamers, or I have chargers. Another amazing investment I made that I would definitely suggest to everyone to pack are for your phones. I cannot tell you how many times when I at first was an amateur traveler that my phone would die. It would die at the wrong time, even if I charged it all day in the hotel. Once you go outside, you know, and it's not like back in the day when they used to have batteries and you take them out, you change them. Like, phones are like serious now, right? Can't do that. So then you have to find a charging station, you have to find somebody, you have to sit there, you have to char- we have to sit in a cafe and drink coffee for two hours so I could charge my phone or whatever it is. It's just, it's just unnecessary. What you do instead is you buy these charging packs and I used to do little ones and I don't even suggest you do that anymore. Don't even be cheap. Go buy yourself a nice expensive $75 to $100 one and I'll tell you why in a second. I mean, if you can get it cheaper, you can, but usually the good ones, honestly, in the US are between that much money. I get one that has solar panels on it. So not only can you charge three or four phones at a time so we can all use it no matter where we are, but it has solar charging. So you don't even have to, I can, because I remember I was in, I think the rice paddies of Indonesia. I remember my daughter had bought one in the beginning of the trip in Southeast Asia. And I was like, Ooh, can I borrow that? And then I found myself keep borrowing her thing and her phone was always charged and I was struggling. And she was like joking around with me like can you get your own and she was making a joke but i was like okay and so i went and i bought my own and that was the best because our phones had died in the middle of like the mountains and like what are you gonna do in the mountains right and you like want your phone you want to take pictures you want to record this experience and so we had a solar panel so it was nice and hot we put it out and uh, it charged the battery on the charger for the battery right so It was great. So if you could do that, that is the ultimate. It's a great investment. I use it every trip. I only take it out for the trips. It's probably gonna last me a long, long time. Inshallah isn't that. So the point is, I'd say don't mess with that because the worst thing is to be in another country. You need your translator, you need the map, you need everything. And so that is something that is a serious investment that I would if I could go back, I would bought that a long time ago another thing I suggest to you is that you bring an extra phone especially making sure that your phone is unlocked when I first started traveling I didn't realize the importance of this and my phone broke for some reason I'm very careful with my phone it refused to turn on and it was the only phone I had I couldn't call back home everybody was worried about me and I was traveling with other people, and I don't want to keep using their phones. and It was very uncomfortable. And I thought because I have an Apple phone, it would be fine. And that was one of the times when I went to Turkey back in the first time. And what happened is um, I didn't know that Apple products, you can't just go walk into an Apple store in any country in the world, even if you have Apple Care. So that's a big one for Apple product people. I want to let you know that. When I went into Turkey, I said to them, you know, I went, I, they, I said I called Apple in the U.S. and they said, go to Apple store in, in Istanbul. So I was like, OK, there was only two. I had to travel really far in a taxi and whatever. I did it. I got to Apple store. I get down there. I'm like, I feel so relieved. OK, I'm an Apple. Apple's going to take care of me. I get up to the front of the line and the lady's like, you can't come in here. And I'm like, why? She's like, well, your phone is from the U.S. It's not from Turkey. And I was like, OK, but I have Apple care. And she's like, that doesn't matter. We don't do products um, that are from U.S., only Apple products from Turkey. I was like, but you can't do that because Apple told me to come to you. They had no care, not helping me. And on no way will they allow me into the store. I was totally stuck. I was going to be there for more weeks with no phone. And I'm not going to go buy another phone. I have everything in there. It's totally run. So I kind of had to talk to her (laughs) on the down low. And I said, look. I need my phone to get fixed. What can I do? And then she was like, well, I'm not really supposed to tell you this, but there might be somebody over here. And then I went to that person and I was like, please fix. I, you know, can I fix? And they were like, um, so I'm not allowed to touch your phone under Turkish law. And then I'm like, what is this? This is what I mean. you travel, you never know. I did. There's no way I could have planned for this one. I didn't know. So the best thing I would have done then is brought a second phone. And because when I went to Turkey as well, I tried to do a SIM card and because it was an unlocked versus locked phone. So now we have extra phones in our house, you know, like when you want to go buy a new phone and you always have an extra phone, they don't really need. I would bring those with you with the chargers for them, charge them up before you come and just, just in case, Allahu Alam, it's always better. So if some SIM card doesn't work, if a phone breaks, you're not put in a bad situation. Okay. And my last tips, I think, I know I gave you a lot today are are chargers, different countries, extra phones. Yeah, I think that is it. I think we covered it all. Let's just take a recap, shall we? We talked about food prices. I gave you about five prices in general. I gave you five tips on how to find the best price for things, even if you have no idea about anything in that country. I talk to you about halal food and food in general and just doing your homework and kind of figure out what the best food is oh by the way i throw this tip in that i mentioned i always ask the locals what the best place is that tip really is true you might have heard that on youtube that is really true i always do that if i can find locals if you see a lot of locals in a place that's good just because you go on a trap trip advisor um place review and you see like five stars and you see like all foreigners in there that doesn't mean it's an authentic place okay guys like I love to see an authentic place where our authentic locals are there and some foreigners are only locals because that is usually a more traditional experience when you're going to places and everybody's giving it like my husband and I this happens to us in New York City we go to a restaurant it says five stars then we realize all the people who rated it we're people who are not from that country because we know the food from that country because we either have friends from that country. We've had this experience in Ethiopian restaurants. We've had this experience in Moroccan restaurants. We eat the food and it is just subpar, but it has amazing ratings because everybody are not Ethiopians or not Moroccans who are rating it. So just keep that in mind as well. Um, just always look for locals. It's a better experience if you see um, a restaurant full of locals. Usually, usually. Alhamdulillah. And then lastly, we covered some what to pack tips. I hope you guys are really enjoying these. Let me know by um, DMing me on Instagram. Just You can even give us a review on Apple Podcasts and how this is helping you or not. We really, really love, love so much to share things that will make your travel so much easier, so much more enjoyable, a mindful, relaxing time, and obviously on the cheap. All right. I will talk to you in the next one. Assalamu alaikum, rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.